Now we're continuing the series on the power of positive confession, which is based on the book by Apostle Price that has the same name. And many of you are familiar with that book. We have more copies of the book coming in from the book uh, supply out west, so we should have some by next week for those of you who uh, may want to pick up a copy if you don't have a copy of the book. Now, uh, the book, as I state here in the first paragraph, I wanted to teach from this book because it shows us how he learned to confess and affirm the biblical truths that are in the Bible that led to his victorious overcoming life. So I'm presenting the discussion of his book and commend the reading of that book to you so that we can learn to follow the same practice that he did of confessing the word of truth that can lead to our victorious overcoming life. Now, as I said last time, many of you urged me a few weeks back to discuss more about Apostle Price's life since we're saying that he is an example of a person who learned the word, believed the word, learned to confess or say the word, and then saw how God confirmed that word in his life. He describes in this book how he use the power of positive confession because he knows that that's part of God's system. And he describes God's system below, and you have it right there in the middle of your page. This is Apostle Price's description of God's system. He says, God has designed his system to work by his word. That is what the Bible is for. God has given us his word in the Bible so that we would know his word, so that we would believe his word, so that we would say his word, that's confess his word, so that he would confirm his word. This is the way God's system works. Now it's clear from Apostle Price's life and his teachings that the starting point to navigating in God's system is to know his word. This requires us to develop knowledge of his word by studying the word in the Bible. And that's what we do here weekly, Sundays, Thursdays, Tuesdays, and of course you do every day at home, like some of the rest of us do. Knowledge is so fundamental that God warns us in Hosea 4, 6, a very familiar scripture, he says, and this is God speaking, he says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. This is a lack of knowledge of his word. God also tells us in his word that these words are the equivalent of life and health, literally life and medicine to our flesh. Look at what he says in Proverbs chapter four, verses 20 to 22. This is the father speaking. Verse 20, he says, My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. Verse 22, for they are life to those who find them and health. And literally, that's medicine to all their flesh. Now, we study the Bible 
to gain a knowledge of God's word because God's word is life and health. And according to Hosea 4.6, if we're destroyed for lack of knowledge, then the absence of knowledge means that our life and health can be destroyed or certainly severely challenged. So this takes us to God's other warning, which we find in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, another familiar scripture to you, where he tells us this. He says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. Apostle Price informs some of us and reminds others in his book that we are speaking from that since God's word is life, a sure way to speak life to our circumstances is to speak or confess these words of life that are found in the Bible. As Dr. Price has stated, we have to develop a habit of speaking life and not death. Now, God's will for you is his word for you. And his word for you, of course, is the word that's in the Bible. The words in the Bible represent what God says about the believer. That's us. And the circumstances surrounding the believer's life. Again, when confronted with a test, trial, temptation, or challenge of any kind, you need to find scripture that speaks to this situation. And I can tell you from having studied the Bible for the last 75 years, almost, and all of the time under Apostle Price where he really taught us to understand the Bible, that there is a word that will speak to any challenge that you have. There's a word that will speak to any challenge that you have. And what God says in his word about your situation represents God's will for you. But you find those words, and you, I've given you this, this example from myself, when I was attacked with cancer uh, back in 2010, the words that came to me, and I was led to these words by, by the Holy Spirit, was Psalm 118.17. And I've recited this so much, Psalm 118.17. It's not in the lesson here, but it's one that you should know. And it's a simple, straightforward scripture. And when I was led to it, I knew that the scripture was speaking to me because this is what it said. First of all, let me preface this by saying, we had just lost so many people that we knew in that year, in the previous year, with the same kind of cancer. Prominent people in the news and so on. And so when I turned to 118.17, it said, I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. Well, I knew that was for me. I mean, I knew, I, I knew it would be for me if it had said, you shall not die, but it said, I shall not die. So I began to confess that from that moment on, from the time that the doctor came back to me with the, with the results of the test to tell me what stage the cancer is in and so forth and so on. And uh, I think I told you this story about it. When he called me, he says, you need to sit down for this one. And... Uh, he says, the test came back and you have an aggressive form of the cancer. And I said, well, I thank you that I now know what's what, but I'll be leaving in three days on a cruise <laughs> that's going to take me through uh, the Nordic countries in, in, in Europe and on to Russia. And this, this I've been planning for some time and it's already paid for. 
And if I cancel right now, I would only get part of my money back. So I said, I'll see you when I get back. So he was, he was a little bit surprised by that, but I had already been given the scripture. And of course, I know the other healing scriptures in, in, in the Bible. And I know that by his stripes, we are and were healed. If you stand on the word and, and confess the word, what does the word tell us? That God will confirm his word. And if you feed back to him his word, he is honor bound to confirm that word. So that's what I did. And I went on the cruise. It was almost two weeks. I came back. And then we discussed the treatment plan that I would uh, undergo. And, and I went through that treatment plan with none of the side effects that they said you would have. You would be knocked out. You would be tired and so forth. And I took those treatments right across the park at uh, Mount Sinai Hospital. And after the treatment, I would walk, walk across the park and come to church, which was at 96th Street, and go to work. I never missed a day of work from that because I never had the side effects that people had from that. You were supposed to be tired, lethargic, and no energy and so forth. I, I didn't have any of those, of those symptoms. So anyway, uh, and the word was true. And why do I know it's true? <laughs> because it says, I shall not die, but live. And this was in 2010. So am I alive? Yes. <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> so he will confirm his word. So there's a word that responds or speaks to every situation that confronts you in your life. And that's the reason we study the Bible. Remember, I did that whole series on why do we study the word from the Bible? It's so we will know the word that we need at the time that we need it. Now, as I said, his word for you is his will for you. And of course, his will is set forth in the Bible. So when you find the words in scripture that respond to your need, condition or challenge, you have to believe them by acting as if they are true. And then you have to confess them. You confess them by saying them out loud because there are at least three individuals who need to hear your words come out of your mouth. Number one, it's you. You need to hear the words come out of your mouth because this is what gives you hope. And this is how you develop faith for those words, faith for those scriptures, faith for what God has said to you in those words by hearing it. Remember, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And you can develop that faith if it comes out of your mouth. So you're repeating it, you're saying it, you're confessing it, you develop faith for it. And of course, your hope is increased. Now, the second person who needs to hear it is God. God needs to hear the words that come out of your mouth so that he can confirm them because these are his words. And we're told this in Mark 16:20. You remember Mark 16:20, the last chapter in Mark, when the Great Commission is given, and uh, they're talking about the disciples here, and it says they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them, confirming the word with signs following. In other words, they preached the word, God confirmed the word, word with signs following. And we always point out that it's interesting. These were the disciples. It did not say that the Lord confirmed them. It confirmed his word. So 
you don't have to be looking for confirmation. You need to be looking for the confirmation of his word and the manifestation will flow through your life as that, that happens. And then of course, the third person who needs to hear you confess these words for you from the Bible is Satan. When he hears you recite them, he knows that you have set a guard in your mind against the thoughts, ideas, and suggestions that he likes to plow into your mind to weaken your faith, to get you to believe that this illness is serious, it's hopeless, most people die from it, after all, your mother died from it, and so forth and so on. When he hears you confessing the truth about the situation as stated by God's word that you are feeding back and confessing, then he knows that you have blocked his influence and so forth. And when God confirms his word, then Satan is moved out of the picture altogether. Now at the top of page three, I'm gonna talk a little bit more about Fred Price's life and the God of restoration. Uh, I spent time last time talking about his life experiences, showing where he used the word, confessed the word, and by confessing the word and standing on the word, believing the word, God restored everything to him that had been taken away. Now, I'm not gonna repeat that whole thing. You can pick up that message. Uh, I think they have printed copies of it and also there are the CDs and so on. But I pointed out that how everything that had been taken away from him had been restored. You remember he lost everything at one point. All of his material possessions, everything in the house, because in those days they came back and took the furniture if you didn't pay for it. Today they don't bother, they just pass on the increased cost to the rest of us. They took everything in the house, took his car and so forth. And I told you last time about how all of this, when, the, when apostles learned the word, believed the word, and began to confess the word, we saw those things come back into his life. Money was restored beyond belief. Cars were restored. I tell you how the congregation secretly, we all got together, raised money, bought him a Rolls Royce. He didn't even know it. It was presented to him by surprise on a birthday. And then one member actually, who had become a wealthy person under Apostle's ministry, uh, paid the full price for a new Bentley for him, about $350,000. That was the car restoration. Then I talked about how everything else was restored. And then, because he was reciting at that time the scripture that says, and God shall restore unto you all that was lost. He was restoring to you the years the locusts has eaten. He'll restore uh, the things that have been taken from you. And they weren't even thinking about this one, but this was a major one. And this is what I talked about last week, but it's for those, some of you were not uh, there last, or here last week. Uh, you remember his firstborn son, the, the second Frederick, was hit and killed by an automobile when he was coming from school. He was taught that when the light changes, you can walk across the school. But there was a the car speeding that went to the tail end of the yellow light and struck him and he was killed instantly. Uh, so in reciting that, the, that God was gonna restore everything that had been taken from him, they really weren't thinking at the time about the son. And I tell you how uh, Dr. Betty became pregnant. She was 45 and uh, 
uh, was quite surprised because as apostle quite openly pointed out, he said, we weren't doing anything that we hadn't been doing. And uh, they didn't, you know, they didn't get any special treatment and so forth. But anyway, being pregnant and the prophecy over that child, because they didn't know what the sex of a child would be uh, at that point and so forth. And it was prophesied by Pop, Papa Hagen, Kenneth Hagen, that it would be a boy and he, and he would end up being a tremendous help to the apostle in the ministry. And I pointed out that apostle was thinking to himself, he received the prophecy, but he was saying, wait a minute now, when this child comes of age in his early 20s, I'll be in my 70s. How can he possibly help me in the ministry? Well, as they say, the rest is history because we all know how, how Pastor Fred Price uh, has helped him in the ministry. So these are, just, these are some of, the, of the restoration. I'm gonna talk a little bit more about restoration today. But let me say this, the process of confirming his word, and I'm talking from the top of the page, page three, confirming his word is part of God's plan and process of restoration. As believers, we should understand that restoration is God's master plan. It's a master plan for mankind. It's a master plan for each one of us. And this is a plan that he began in the book of Genesis after the fall in the garden by Adam. So you can think about that. Everything after the fall in the Bible, in the Bible to the end, deals with God's plan for restoration, which includes his plan for redemption, salvation, deliverance, and so forth. His whole plan of salvation through Christ Jesus is part of his plan for restoration. Dominion over the earth that was given to Adam and he gave it away was restored by Jesus. Any acts of deliverance and acts of redemption are acts of restoration. In Colossians chapter one, verses 13, we were delivered from the power of darkness and conveyed into the kingdom of the son of his love. That's restoration. In Galatians chapter three, verses 13 and 14, Galatians 3, 13, 14, we find this. In verse 13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. In, in verse 14, for the blessed, of that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive promise of the spirit through faith redeemed from the curse of the law so that we might receive the blessings of Abraham now redemption from the curse of the law is restoration obviously the blessing of Abraham is restoration of our material blessing remember our material blessings come through Abraham our spiritual blessings come through Christ Jesus both are restoration now, I pointed out last time that Fred Price and his life experience shows us that we do have a God of restoration. And because we all tend to have challenges in these three areas that I'm going to talk about next, finances, health, and fear, I'm going to talk about those in terms of Fred Price's experience and how we can learn from that. I mentioned before how, we're gonna talk about finances now, the bottom of the page. I mentioned before how Fred and Betty put the words on tithing from Malachi 3.10 to the test by tithing 10% of their income. Remember God says in Malachi 3.10, to prove me now herewith, see, it, see that if I won't open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, you won't have room enough to receive it. That is if you 
so if you tithe, if you give, and so forth. So, and because they started a life of giving, they expected all of their needs would be met as set forth in Philippians 4.19. Remember Philippians 4.19 says this, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Fred began to confess these scriptures by repeatedly saying, all my needs are met. All my needs are met. I am rich. I am rich. And I pointed out that his two daughters, that was Angela and Cheryl at the time, uh, thought that maybe, you know, something had gone a little awry with his eyesight because they looked around and nothing appeared to the eye as if they were rich. But he confessed the scriptures and they begin to see, and all of us in the family begin to see, as well as the church congregation begin to see, how things begin to change. Now, last time I mentioned how Fred and Betty started sewing at the rate of 10% of the income, and this grew progressively to 40%. I think I might have said an error to 45%. It's 40%. 40% is pretty good. That's still close to half of their annual income. But I want to show you a little bit more how they did it. As they eliminated or reduced costs in other areas of debt, they would move the savings from eliminating that debt into the tithing category. For example, they had a 30-year mortgage. They paid that mortgage off in 20 years. They moved the savings that, that accrued each month into the savings category and gave that. The second 30-year mortgage they got, they paid it off in three and a half years. That's how their life had changed around three and a half years. They moved those savings into tithing. And they did this as they reduced debt in other categories. So that's how it went from 10% to 40%. That's what they chose to do. And so this practice further enriched their lives because of the truth of the word. I always bring it back to the word. The truth of the word that we recite practically every week uh, when someone is doing the offering. And that is from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 9, verses 6 and, I mean 6 through 8, which you know that 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. And 6 says this, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, but he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. They saw the truth of these words in the Bible come true in their life. They sowed bountifully and they reaped bountifully. Verse 7 says, So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And 8, And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you, always having a sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. I saw this scripture come to reality in Fred and Betty's life. During the years of struggle, Fred tells how he wanted to give this to this or that ministry or to this or that good cause and simply could not because he didn't have the money. But after their practice of tithing and giving, they did in fact gain what verse eight that we just read. They did gain a sufficiency in all things and an abundance for every good work. They were able, and still do, to sow into other ministries, 
like they sow into this ministry every, every week. They've done this from the beginning. He never took anything out of this ministry. They give the Crenshaw Christian Center the $2,000 every week. And that goes towards meeting our costs here. And they give to other ministries and they sow into ministers' lives. They sponsor missionary work around the world. They, con they contribute scholarship funds here and abroad. They support schools and orphanages like, like the uh, schools in Haiti and elsewhere around the world. They, su they support other good works like a shelter down south for abused women plus other charitable giving. The word works if you work with it. They have gained a sufficiency in all things and an abundance for every good work. That's what the scriptures promise. If you do the word, if you become doers of the word. Now let's look to health because Fred had, I didn't talk about this before, so and you may have heard him talk about it, but this is important because I think health is one of, finances and health are the two major challenges that Satan uses to beat down Christians. Uh, under health, Fred tells the story of the tumor's growth on his chest that became so painful and so large, by the way, that he had to have it removed by surgery. Later, another similar growth uh, developed on his chest, but by this time, he knew the word and that he could stand on Isaiah 53.5 and 1 Peter uh, 1 Peter, second uh, chapter, verses 24. You know both of these. The first one, by his stripes, you are healed. By his stripes, you were healed. And I have them right there uh, that you can see. As a second tumor grew in size and pain, Fred continued to confess that by his stripes, he was healed. And he recalls that the tumor became so large and painful that a simple drop of water, just a drop of water that he touched that area of his body in the shower would be excruciatingly painful so forth. Then one morning he got into the shower and lo and behold the tumor was gone. He had confessed it. And I'm telling the story because it's about it's not a figure from the Bible it's about someone we know that we have seen that we have touched, that we have greeted we have talked with and we know, and it shows from his life that the word works if you work the word. And we all know the story of Dr. Betty and her challenge with life-threatening cancer. While in the hospital awaiting further diagnosis and treatment, uh, and her cancer, as you know, had gotten quite serious, Dr. Betty recalls the words that came to her in the hospital bed that night that were spoken in the Gospel of John, chapter 11, verses 4. This is where Jesus is speaking. And he says, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So this was the scripture that came to her. That this scripture, I mean, that this sickness is not unto death, but, that, but for the glory of God. It's another way of saying, as mine said, that you will not die, but live. So Dr. Betty began to confess this scripture along with other key scriptures on healing. And we know that, after, that her trial with cancer ended in victory and triumph. And she put it in a book that many of you have read here and so on. So let's look at fear and worry. This is an area that confronts so many Christians. 
And Fred, as he tells it, was an expert, especially in worry. Uh, and you'll see I have it written down there. He says that I earned a PhD in worry because he literally worried about everything. He said, and you don't know where it comes from, but some people literally worry about everything. He was one, and he said he worried so much that he burned a hole in his stomach and developed a peptic ulcer. That's how bad it was. We're now on page six. It was gaining knowledge and understanding the word that enabled Fred to overcome this deeply rooted habit of worrying. First, he learned and received the words in Matthew chapter six, verses 25 through 30. That's Matthew chapter six, verses 25 through 30, where Jesus says, reading at 25, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? 26, he says, look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap. They neither sow nor reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Verse 27, which of you worrying can add one cubit to his stature? In other words, who can make himself grow by worrying? 29, and yet I say to you that even Solomon, no, I'm sorry, verse 28, so why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor do they spin. Verse 29, and yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Verse 30, now if God so clothed the grass of the field, which is today and tomorrow is thrown in the oven and burned, will he not so much clothe you, O ye of little faith? So Jesus asks in verse 27, which of you by worrying can add anything to his stature? When you think about it, what good can worrying add to anything? What good can worrying add to anything? We know, on the other hand, that it can add some bad. It can do some ill and add to an ulcerated stomach, for example, as it did in the case of Fred Price. Worry can add to gray hair. It can cause your hair to thin. But it can't change anything in the positive about the concern, the problem, or the health issue being faced by the believer. In fact, let's look again at the derivation of the word worry, which I pointed out to you before. Worry comes from the Anglo-Saxon word virgon, W-R-Y-G-O-N, virgon. It's pronounced virgon. The W is pronounced with a V, virgon, which means to strangle. So when you worry, you're actually strangling yourself, cutting off needed oxygen, and further threatening your health. And worry, by the way, is actually a sin because when you worry, you are denying the word of God. See, God has said something about your situation. And if it's an illness, you know he said it by his strife, you're healed. So when you worry, you're actually denying what God said about your situation. So you're denying uh, uh, the reality of God's word. And, and this is a sin. So you are compounding whatever problem you have by adding the sin of worry to the mix. And you certainly don't need to or want to do that. Now, in dealing with worry, Fred Price took to heart and to mouth, meaning by confession, 
what we're told in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Very familiar verse, and you know this. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, which says this. In verse 6, be anxious for nothing. That simply means don't worry about anything. But in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. And seven, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. In other words, don't worry about anything. So like worry, we're going to turn to fear. Fear will block your faith and belief. And Fred had two major fears that he shared with us, and you may have heard him talk about this. is fear of flying, fear of water. First, the fear of water. Fred traces this back, by the way, to when he was a very young child. His father would take him to the beach and would throw him in the water, force him in the water, and he would be screaming and resisting because to him the water was danger. He was a, he was a kid, and he was forcing him. And he says he feels that this is where that fear of water developed. And uh, so this fear became so severe that he said that he couldn't put his head under the water in the shower without really feeling queasy and uneasy. Uh, and obviously with the fear of water, he didn't learn to swim and he would not take any trips that involved a vessel going over the ocean. <coughs> the second fear Fred had was fear of flying. And you've heard him talk about this, I'm sure. The only trips he would take were to places where he could drive, and he loved driving. He's a very good driver. And when I was in law school here in New York a few years ago, <laughs> we actually celebrated our 50th year, our graduation. I don't believe it myself. Uh, when I was in law school, I would go back <coughs> to California, to Los Angeles, for school breaks, for the holidays, and so on. And Fred would sometimes take me to the hospital. I would sometimes stay at their house and he would drive me to the, did I say the hospital? He would drive me to the airport. And he would watch me get on the plane and watch the plane go off. Now he loved to watch the planes take off and land. A lot of people did. And there's sections out at LA airport and I guess at other airports where you can stand and watch them take off and land. He would watch me get on the plane and the plane take off. And he told us later that he would literally be trembling with fear uh, at my being on the plane and the plane taking off because he had that much fear of flying. Well, he gained the knowledge of the word and what it said about fear. Fred learned and began to confess the word in 2 Timothy 2.7, which you know. 2 Timothy 2.7, which says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So the spirit of fear didn't come from God. It's not God-given. So if it didn't come from God, it doesn't belong to you. Fear does not belong to you. It does not belong in your mind. And its ill effects don't belong in your body. Fred's confession was sometimes as simple as saying this. I have not been given the spirit of fear, but the spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. So fear does not have any power or dominion or right to be in your life unless you allow it. And of course, Fred developed strong faith in the word. And with his new discovery of the power of faith to change his life, which gave him 
deep belief and faith in the word of God, Fred began to act on what he believed. In terms of his fear of water, this fear was met with a new Fred Price who not only learned to swim, but became a certified scuba diver and has dived in places all around the world. And you know this, that he initiated the cruises that the congregation at Crenshaw and other people who joined them uh, began to take nearly 40 years ago and so forth. And he would not get into a boat to save his life before he overcame this fear of water and so on. In terms of flying, Fred used that same word of truth. He began to take airplane trips. And as you know, he's traveled all over the world and he eventually acquired his own private plane, as you know. Now, Fred Price's faith defeated his fears. Do the same for you, any fear that you have. In fact, you cannot operate in fear and faith at the same time. They cancel each other out. Faith accepts the word of God. Fear accepts the word of Satan. It accepts what Satan is feeding into your mind through thoughts, ideas, and suggestions. Now, as I've said before, you should take fear and treat it like an acronym. Fear, F-E-A-R. An acronym is a word formed from the first letter or first few letters of a series of words. And a word that's much in the news lately uh, is NATO. And NATO was actually taken from North Atlantic Treaty Organization. North Atlantic Treaty Organization, that's NATO. Another common one that you hear is radar. You never stop to think where radar comes from, from or that it's an acronym. Radar comes from radio detecting and ranging. That's where radar comes from. So in treating fear as an ac acronym, it can be said that fear, F-E-A-R, represents false evidences appearing real. In other words, fear is not real, it's a phantom. It does not reflect reality. Love and God's word reflect reality and the truth about the situation. What God says about your situation in the Bible is where you can find the truth and reality about these circumstances that you are confronting. In the word in the Bible, you can also find other cures or antidotes for fear. And I've listed a number of them before. You have them right there. I'm not gonna go over these because you have them right before you. Psalm 27, one. Psalm 23, 4, Psalm 56, 3, Romans 8, 31, Romans 8, 37, and 1 John 4, 18. I'm saying this for the benefit of anyone who's listening in. And you have them right there. You can read them for you, yourself. Now, what does confession mean? So again, using the power of positive confession, Using it involves finding those words of God in the Bible that say what God says about your challenge or circumstance. You find those words. Next, you believe these words of God and act as if they are true. Then you confess these words of God in your speech. This is what Fred Price did and it changed his life for good and forever. He began to confess what God said about him and his life in the Bible, including what God said about his health, his finances, and about fear and worry that had plagued him much of his life. And as I pointed out in terms of the word confession itself in the Bible, 
Confession comes from the original Greek word homologio, homologio, and you have it right there in front of you. And a homologio is a compound word formed with the word lego, L-E-G-O, which means to say, and homos, H-O-M-O-S, which means the same thing. So the literal meaning of homologio is to agree with or say the same thing. Now, as applied to the power of positive confession, homologio or confession means to say the same thing as God says about you and your circumstances. That's what you're doing when you find those words in the Bible, as I found, that I shall not die but live. That's what God is saying about me. I said the same words, so I'm saying and agreeing with what God said about me. That's what we do in terms of taking the word and applying it to our life. Now, as pointed out before, the process of believing, the process of saying and believing is a law enunciated by Jesus in Mark eleven twenty three, where he says, for assuredly I say to you, whoever says, and you know the rest of this mountain and so forth, whoever says and does not doubt in his heart, but believes those things that he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Now, this is the formula that I came up with, or equation actually. S plus B equals A. Saying plus believing equals achieving. Saying plus believing equals achieving. Achieving your desired results when operating within God's system. And I read you uh, Apostle Price's statement about God's system, and we're going to repeat it again right here. Saying plus believing equals achieving. Achieving your desired results when operating within God's system. God's system, I'm sorry, God has designed his system to work by his word, as we said before. This is uh, Apostle Price writing this. That, that is what the Bible is for. God gave us his word so that we would know his word, so that we would believe his word, so that we would say or confess his word, so that he could confirm his word. This is the way God's system works. Now, God's word regulates the law of confession. And I'm going to be repeating both of these, the formula and God's system that we just uh, recited above in, in quoting Apostle Price's description of the system because we need to know both what the system is and we need to know what the law is and we need to have faith in both. And again, faith comes by hearing. Faith comes by hearing. But we need to be reminded that it's God's word that regulates the law of confession. God will not confirm. This is why you need to know this. You hear people claiming all kinds of things and thinking that God is going to honor this claiming something because you speak it and you claim it. But God will not confirm just anything that comes out of your mouth. He will confirm his word if that comes out of, out of your mouth. So, this means that in the equation representing the law, the little equation that I came up with, saying plus believing equals achieving, S plus B equals A, the saying must be saying the word of God, and believing must be believing the word of God. By following this course, you can have what you say. You can have what you say if it lines up with the word of God. You can't go out here and then turn around and look up at this hotel and say, Father, I claim this hotel in the name of Jesus. I'm going to walk around it and lay hands on it and, and I'm going to get some 
uh, some uh, uh, holy water. And, and, and you can't claim, this belongs to somebody else and so forth. You just can't claim anything, but you do have people doing that. You have people claiming people for their husband and wife. And sometimes they are husband and wife to somebody else. You can't do that. You can't do that. So since we are dealing with the law, you also have to realize that the law will work if you work with it. And you work with the law when you observe to do what the word in the law commands you to do. See, you remember what I said. The Bible is filled with God's promises for us, but the promises are always conditioned. His love is unconditional. His promises are conditioned. They're conditioned to you doing something and so forth. But uh, in, in uh, Psalm 1, the very first Psalm is a good example of that. Psalm 1, uh, verses 1, 2, 3. And this is what it tells us. It says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is the law, meaning the word of God, and his law, and in his law, that is in God's law, he meditates day and night. After doing this, after meditating, studying, and spending time in the word of God, verse three, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in season, whose leaves shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper so important studying the word but the condition is that you study the word in other words you can come to the very end of, of verse 3 and says whatever I set my hand to shall prosper but that's after you study and meditate and spend time in the word the words in Psalm 1 reminds us that it is the word of God and our acting on the word that regulates the law of confession what Psalm 1 is saying is that you should spend time studying the word meditating on the word understanding the word and ultimately believing and speaking the word if you commit to the word in this way then whatever you do or set your hands to will prosper now this is another law that we need to be aware of and this is the law that states that your faith will never rise above the level of your confession again in this discussion on the power of positive confession we are dealing with spiritual laws we saw in Mark eleven twenty three, 23, where Jesus sets forth the law of believing and confessing. Apostle Price reminds us, reminds us that there's a spiritual law that says this, your faith will never rise above the level of your confession. Apostle Price confessed those things that God said about his finances, his health, his fears and worries, and other things about restoration, and Apostle's faith for these things rose to the level of his confession. Now, as for me, I say this about faith and confession. I say that your confession is your faith. What you're confessing is what you believe, and it is your, your faith. You believe what the word of God says about you and your circumstances, and you confess or say your belief. Your confession of faith actually becomes your life. Your confession, actually, remember how Apostle Price was going around the house saying things were falling apart because they weren't repairing anything. They were, decided they weren't going to spend any money if they wanted to get out of debt. And he was saying that I'm rich, I'm rich, I'm rich. All my needs are met. They will become part of your life. Now, thinking certainly is important here because what you believe and say about yourself is greatly influenced by what you think about yourself. Thinking is very important. 
and we know Proverbs 23, as a man thinketh in himself. Now, Apostle Price would have us look once again in Mark eleven twenty four before we end the day, where Jesus says this, Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Now right away, this is Apostle Price writing here, right away, someone will challenge you by saying it is dishonest to say that you believe you are healed when you have pain in your body. Mentally, some people have a real problem with this concept. A Price, Apostle Price points out that the reason they have a problem is that they miss one very small point in Mark eleven twenty four, And this is a small point. Next paragraph. Jesus said that if you believe that you receive them, you will have them. You will have them. It is obvious that you do not have it in the actual manifestation when you pray about it because if you actually physically had it when you prayed, then you would not use the statement, will have. And that means we'll have it later. Understanding will have them is future tense, indicating that the time of action has not taken place, but will take place in the future. Apostle Price further writes this about Mark, about Mark 11, 24. He, meaning Jesus, did not say that when you pray, feel like you are well. He said, believe it. Again, the point I am making, this is Apostle Price, I'm quoting, is if he had said, feel like it, and you still had pain, then you would be lying. You would be telling a lie. He did not even say, when you pray, know it. He did not say, when you pray, see it. He did not say, when you pray, understand it. He said, believe it. Believe you receive it, and then you will have it. In further explanation, Apostle Price goes on to point out that if you do not have it already, you cannot say you have it. You have to say, I believe I have it. I believe I have it is a confession of faith. I believe I have it is a confession of faith. This is why we tell individuals who come up to the prayer line for healing to say after the pastor has laid hands on them and they receive their healing, to say after that, thank you, Father, I believe I am healed. Thank you, Father, I believe I am healed until you receive the actual manifestation of this healing. This is not a confession of, of a physical fact. This is a confession of faith. Thank you, Father, I believe I'm healed. It's a confession of faith. And you may still be in pain as you hobble back to your seat, but you, you still make that confession of faith until you receive the actual manifestation. Now, to make the issue of healing personal, I'm gonna end on this point. When you are attacked with an illness, go to the word where God says, 1 Peter 2.24, you have Isaiah 53 as well, by whose stripes you were healed. You can lay hands on yourself or come up to the healing line at church. Then you have to speak life to your life according to Proverbs 18.21, which says death and life are in the power of the tongue, which means that you do not confess what you see, feel, or think. You have to believe that what God says about you is true because the word in the Bible says it's impossible for God to lie. As a result, you must be healed whether you look like it or not, whether you feel like it or not, or whether you see it, or whether you understand it or not. Based on the scriptural promise regarding healing, you can confess that I believe I am healed until your healing manifests. This is your confession of faith that you can stand on. It's a confession that you make out loud so that you can hear, so that the devil can hear, and so God can hear. That is your confession of faith that you can stand on.